Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually help you discover and then live your why. You see, we believe that knowing your why, that driving force behind every decision you make and every action you take is the essential first step to really knowing yourself. It allows you to move forward faster and have a bigger impact. If you're already a fan of the show, then you know that every week we talk about one of the nine whys and then we introduce you to somebody with that why so you can see how their why has played out in their life. This show will be more powerful for you if you've already discovered your why. If you still need to do that, head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. It'll only take you about five minutes. Now, let's meet today's guest. Today, we are going to be talking about the why of better way. So if this is your why, then you are the ultimate innovator. You constantly seek better ways to do everything from the most mundane tasks of brushing your teeth to improving the rocket fuel that powers the space shuttle. You can't stop yourself. You take virtually anything and want to improve it, make it better, and share your improvements with the world. You invent things and take what has already been invented and improve that too. You constantly ask yourself the questions, what if we tried this differently? What if we did this another way? You contribute to the world with better processes, better systems, and operate under the motto of often pleased, never satisfied. You are excellent at associating and taking from one industry or discipline and applying it to another, always with the aim of improving something. You generally operate with a high level of energy because after all, that too is a better way. And so today I've got a great guest for you. His name is Hayden Bratt. Now he is the founder and partner at Mindset Leadership. In 2018, he published his first book, Micro Leadership, which explores the future of leadership and specifically looks at how small or micro interactions are the secret behind creating enormous success. He's a qualified coach, an expert in leadership. Hayden believes in developing better leaders, building better workplaces so that more people can be inspired and love their jobs. Hayden, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Gary. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me so for those people that uh, kind of hear your accent a little bit, tell everybody where you are. So I'm based over in the UK, as you can hear from my, my accent, and I live, um, I'm actually a neighbor of the Queen over here. So I live in Windsor, just outside London. So in the southeast of the UK, um, and say probably five minutes walk to uh, Windsor Castle, which is where the Queen uh, is her official residence. So well, I've got good neighbors. <laughs> yes. Uh, how often have you seen her? Um, not very often at all. So um, she's she's actually in, but because of the current pandemic, she's um, she's shielding from the world. Uh, so very few um, public um, uh, public uh, showings. So yeah, not not seen too much of her. But it's um, it's quite nice to know she's there though. Yes, of course. So bring us all up to speed. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into leadership? You know, where did you start? What what was your journey like so far? Yeah, great. So um, I have been working in the L&D field for probably 25 years now. And I started out, I actually started out in, in operations, frontline operations in retail uh, here in the UK. Um, and always loved the people side of, of retail. So I always, uh, one of my first jobs was working for a company called Tyrac, who used to be the, the, the business that were in all of the um, airports and travel locations around the world. And um, 
when I worked there, I used to work with a manager and he was great on the displays and the numbers. And I used to take care of the people side. So we used to kind of work together and that was that was the thing that got me. And so from there, I've always had this real, real belief, I guess, that people are the route to success. If you want to achieve success in anything, it's about creating a great team and how do you lead that team in a way that enables them to be their brilliant best. That That's something that has always um, been part of my, my beliefs. Then I went, moved off and because I liked the people side, I got involved in training and, and then moved into this kind of L&D function, learning and development function with, with always a real interest on um, management development and leadership development. So my career has always explored those areas. Let me ask you a question on that. What was it that you saw that made you believe that? What did you see? What did you experience? What was going on that you said, ah, a better way to success is through people, not just the displays? What did you see? So I saw um, I saw the good and the bad. So I saw the other people around me who were leading in, in the way that I believed was was a better way. So started to see people who were really engaged in their people and inspiring their people and seeing the results they then delivered through. And I was very fortunate that I had a, an area manager at the time who was probably one of the best people I've ever worked with, with this ability to really connect on a human level to the people that she led. She had really high standards. She was really demanding, but she did it in a way that really cared for the people who she she led, uh, a lady called Jeanette Parker. Uh, and then I saw other managers who seemed to be much more focused on the numbers or focused on the processes. And I could see the unhappiness that they were creating in some of their teams and therefore the negative impact that had on some of their results. So that was the thing that I started to look at. I looked and thought, the there's... These people are doing it this way. These people are doing it another way. There's, there's, there's a, clearly there's a better way, uh, coming back to our why, to actually do this. And I started to tune into why, why do some people get great results and then other people not? What is it that stands those people out? And that's what really so, triggered me to want to explore it. And what was Jeanette doing? Give us some examples of what you saw her doing. So she had this real ability to connect with people on a human individual level. So she had a big team. At the time, she probably had 25 sites where she was managing. And in, in each of those sites were probably you know, eight to 10 people. So a couple of hundred people across her watch, if you want to use that, that language. And she had this ability to know something about everybody. So she would walk in, and even when I when I first worked for Jeanette, I was a relatively junior member of the team, and yet she would take the time to talk to me, to discuss things with me, to ask things, my views and opinions on things. When she was making changes in the location, she would take the time to ask questions, to um, not to just come in and tell, but to really genuinely be interested in what your views and opinions were. And if she didn't agree, she didn't just say, no, that's ridiculous. She would say, okay, that's interesting. Why do you think that way? And what I'm thinking is this, what are your thoughts on that? So again, it wasn't a just do it because I'm the boss and I'm telling you to do it. It was really kind of, I guess what we call coaching now. In the Back in the day, I didn't know it was called coaching and didn't wouldn't have called it coaching, but 
but a real kind of coaching approach to helping you to understand. But the other thing that Jeanette did really well was she had super high standards. So it wasn't a, it wasn't an environment that was just soft and fluffy and nice. It was an environment that had human connection with a real drive for high performance. Now, a real exacting standard that actually there were consequences if you didn't meet those standards. It was all done in the right way and the, and the behaviors were, were, um, were really appropriate to show care and, and love for her teams but there was a real exacting standard that was required. Give us an example of that. I, I, I love what you're saying. I mean, connect on a human level and then set super high standard, standards. So how did you, like, give us an example of what a super high standard might be. So she would come in. So one of the things um, we used to um, have this really big, long um, uh, store on Oxford Street. So in central London, one of the biggest shopping streets in the world um, with lots of the time, it wasn't pedestrianized. So there was lots of traffic going by. So you get a lot of dust and a lot of dirt coming into the store just by the very nature. So one of the routines we had every day was to thoroughly clean the shop. Okay, prior to, we used to have uh, 30 minutes prior to opening and the first hour of the of trading was relatively quiet. So you used to do a really deep clean of the shop. And if Jeanette walked into the shop, she would not just rub her finger across the edge of the, the cabinet. She would put her hand on the back of the cabinet and run her finger through. And if any dust came out on her finger, you would have to go and clean it again. Now, it was a really simple habit that she formed. And one of the big things I'm, I'm a huge fan of is habits. It's one of these really, what I call a keystone habit, which was she knew if, if the person who was leading that shift had made sure that the cabinets were clean at the back, then everything else on that checklist of that day would have been completed. Because mm. that's the easy one to shift, to shirk on. Now, everybody will do, make sure the windows are tidy. Everybody will take the rubbish out. Everybody will do the, make sure the place is hoovered, et cetera. But when you go to the degree of making sure that the backs of the cabinets are as clean as the fronts, you can guarantee that everything else is done to that standard too. And it was that. just one of those great examples of that attention to detail, but not just for the sake of wanting to catch you out, but genuinely because there was a reason behind it. And she would explain that reason. So if she caught you, uh, and, it, and it happened to me on a long day when I was a bit um, uh, bit slack in what I was doing, and she came in and she rubbed, found some dust in the back of the cabinet, and you know she could just hold her finger up, look me in the eyes, and the look on her face just showed all the disappointment that you needed to know. Uh, and she would just come, what happened today? And I would be, okay, I, I, I got the message. I understand why this really matters. And she'd explain it. No, I know if this isn't done, then there's other things that may not be done. And it's mm. that attention that was... So it's just a great a great story that um, has always st stayed with me around. You can have these really high standards, hold people to account for them, but still do it in a way that has this human touch. And that I for me is that. what great leadership is about. So, yeah. And so then you worked there for for, for quite a while and then... Keep us going on your story. So, yeah. So I, I, I worked in that organization for um, for a few years. And then the opportunities to, to go, so I kind of felt I was ready to take on. At that time, I was um, uh, what we call a deputy manager, so an assistant manager in that location. And I was ready to, to take on my 
my own store and just take that next level up in my career. And, and the opportunities there didn't seem to be um, available at the time. So I went and um, worked in a different company. And in that company, that was a furnishing company. And um, when I was interviewed by them, I said, I've got a real interest in training and development. All right. I've seen that within my experience in, in Tyrac. I see the value of it. I see how important it is in businesses. So I'm keen to come and do something. And this company didn't have any learning and development function. They were a relatively new company, um, almost like a startup, and they were rapidly growing. So they were just looking for bright talent to come and join them. And, and I kind of fit the bill of bright talent wanting to make a difference. Um, so I joined them and um, I said, okay, what I'll do is if you, if I get the opportunity, I'll come in and I'll start creating training for you and start to systemize and put processes and procedures in place around the training. So give me the opportunity and I'll come in and start working alongside running my store. I'll start to, to share what I've learned from my time in Tyrac. Um, so I came into the, that business and I was in a really quiet location, one of their smaller stores. Um, but they used it as a kind of an academy location. So they'd send people down to be trained and I would train them upon customer experience skills. And in the time, um, they were quite forward thinking in many ways because they had um, PC based um, till systems at the time. So I had a computer where I could sit and type away. So I was writing content and materials to um, share with other um, shop owners or shop shop uh, managers to them to help their train their teams and to start putting kind of PDF guides together and created a manual and all of that kind of good stuff back in the, the late nineties, which was um, kind of where, where we were in terms of um, training at that time. And I, I did that for a couple of years. And then again, I went back to my uh, manager at the time and said, um, you know, as we're expanding, they, um, they were opening new sites. So they said to me, okay, well, let's take you out of that site. Cause I think, you know, there's more you can offer than, than just running that one site. Um, and then I became the new sites opening manager. So every time they opened a new site, I would go along and I would recruit the team for the, for the new site. So do all of it, the recruitment, um, go with the display team and help set the shop, the shop up, set the store up. So um, spend a week there literally painting and putting things together and helping the display team. In that time, doing an induction for all the new colleagues in the store. So bringing them in, onboarding them, making sure that they all kind of knew what their roles were going to be. And then everybody else would disappear on the Sunday night and the Monday morning of opening, I would be there with the keys in my hand opening the store with all of the new team members. And I would manage that site until I was able to hand over to the new manager who was able to then run it effectively. So I'd be like two to three weeks um, working alongside them. Uh, and I did that for about 18 months. And I, uh, and I literally went around the entire of the UK opening new store pretty much one a month. Um, so it was great. It was a really good experience. And through that, I could refine processes, improve things, uh, make things better, um, come back to the why again, um, <laughs> and uh, and kind of really help these, these new managers on their career as they stepped in. Um, and then from there, I went into a more head office role in that same organization. So as they continued to grow... I actually had a team of people doing what I used to do and I then were managing that team. So I was no longer doing the on the, on the shop floor stuff. I was in the head office 
starting to create management development, leadership development, starting to kind of professionalize their their approach a little bit more. Uh, and that's so that was um that was kind of the next step. And from there, I then went back to Tyrac. So back to the business I used to work for. Yeah. Um basically a really good friend of mine, my first ever manager there was now in the HR department and he approached me to say, we've now got the national training manager position available. Would you be interested in coming and having a having a conversation? I went back and you know it's a business that's really close to my heart. So um I went uh, and worked there for um about four years running the entire training function. So now no longer in the stores, but actually in the head office. Mm. Um, and that was involving the regional managers, the operational management structure, as well as inductions and core kind of customer experience training. Um, so you've had a lot of experience with building organizations, building teams, putting people together to succeed, seeing what doesn't work, seeing what does work. Mm which led you to coaching, right? So now when, when did you move from Tyrac into coaching? So I, yeah, I, I did Tyrac. I then went into, I worked in the, uh, the um, bookmaking industry here in the UK. So the betting industry. Um, and I did 11 and a half years working for two of our largest bookmakers. So Coral and William Hill. Um, and in there, that's where I started to really um, professionalize what I was doing. So up until that point, up until I worked in time at Tyrac, pretty much all my experience was things I'd learned from just keeping my eyes and ears open and researching myself and, and finding out, you know, kind of just exploring and, and creating and, and coming up with ideas and testing them out, all of that kind of pretty much self-learned. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is what better way people do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, how, that's, then, where, that's where we thrive is in finding better ways and sharing them, right? Absolutely. And that, that's the way that I'd kind of done it. And that, there came a point where I kind of thought to myself, I need to, I do need some kind of validation of what I'm doing is actually right. I've, you know, I've, I've created all this stuff and I've built teams together and it's all worked and I've done really well. But actually, is this really based on anything other than just my opinions of what works? So I, I, I sought out an opportunity to go to a much bigger organization than, than Tyrac was with other professionals to go and see actually can i cut it in the in the world of big business rather than just what was a relatively still a relatively small organization you know, it was a global organization but it was still relatively small in in comparative terms so i joined um uh, the betting industry again working as head of training in those environments and that's where i started to get really involved in leadership development as opposed to kind of management development, really focused on those senior leaders in the organization. And William Hill is a, you know, is a, or it was at the time, a, a FTSE 250 organization, 14,500 employees, um, you know, some, some high profile leaders who for me to get involved and engage with was, was a step up in terms of the expectations on me. Um, and I absolutely loved it, you know, thrived in that. And that's where I had the opportunity to start to get some professional qualifications, really explore coaching. Um, I did some, I say, uh, started to get some, some, some validation of my skills and knowledge from that organization. And then that led me to seven years ago, taken the decision to leave the corporate world and set up my own consultancy, which is Mindset Leadership, the business that I run today. 
And that was where I'd always had this itch of wanting to be an entrepreneur. So my dad's an entrepreneur by by um, definition, I guess. Uh, he's always been an entrepreneur all his life. And I'd always had this kind of feeling in the back of my mind, which is, you know, is that something I could be successful at? And it came to a point in my career and my life where I just thought, if I don't do it now, I never will. And I'd hate to look back in 10 years' time and think if only. And, and let's be honest, part of it was, I believe I can do this pretty well and maybe I can do it better than some other people who were, um, were, were <laughs> providing me at the time with services. So I looked around at other suppliers and said, well, I, I could do what they do and I can maybe do it better. So um, let me go out and have a look at, um, can, I, can I make it on my own? And that's what's led me to run my business that I run now. And so you wrote your first book. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago, what, about three years ago. Yeah. And yeah, let's talk so, about it. What's the name of your book and, and uh, what does your book teach? Yeah. So the book is called Micro Leadership. And Micro Leadership is really focusing on the small interactions that, when accumulated together, create enormous results. So, in effect, it is thinking about leadership and thinking around. How do I make small changes to the things that I do day in, day out? How do I change my habits as a leader to create the big results that I'm trying to achieve in my career, my life, my, my business? And what, it, what I identified, and again, this is through all of the work that I've done over the years, is it started, and I'm, I'm really passionate about human performance. I'm passionate about kind of... Um, elite performance when it comes to athletics. Um, I'm really interested in what drives certain people to go above and beyond and to, to reach the kind of real elite levels of capability. So I do loads of reading around that, and I'm really uh, interested in concepts of flow state and um, concepts of purpose and all of these you know, things that, that, that really kind of sit as you talk to people who push and go beyond. And what really started to crystallize for me was there were, there were six, what I call the six habits of a micro leader that started to kind of come together to coalesce into this way of looking at people who are really successful. They all seem to demonstrate these six attributes, or in my mind, that's what they kind of coalesce into these six attributes or habits that really successful people do really well. And that's what the book is based around. So those six habits are the first is live in the gap. And living the gap is this ability to analyze a current situation and to identify the edges, to look for the, the untrodden path, to, to find the better ways. So, you know, I guess in, in all languages, that <laughs> ability to spot the opportunities to improve things and do things better, continuous improvement, always striving for more. So give us an example of that. So that would be, um, I, actually, I've just been on a coaching session with a, with a lady who does this. So um, somebody who's able to look at a, um, look at some market conditions and be able to spot the opportunities within that to innovate or to make a gain. So that, um, that ability to spot very quickly patterns that exist and then to um, mobilize self and others towards maximizing that opportunity. It also has a, a secondary element to it, which is the ability to manage your own state in any moment. So a part of living the gap habit is the, the gap between stimulus and response, which uh, means that 
in any moment I'm able to manage my emotional state, that means that I can maximize opportunities that are there, that I'm not getting too drawn into the drama or I'm not getting too um, excited. That means I'm going to make rash decisions. So it's this ability to spot opportunities, but then to have the emotional um, presence to be able to make the right choices in that moment. Mm. So that's the live in the gap habit. Love it. Okay. Second habit that um, uh, in the book is uh, what I call be a connector. And that's that ability to build really strong networks and relationships, to draw people together, to recognize that you can't do it alone. And we, we are way better when we are um, engaged with others. And this ability to draw people towards you and um, form either formal or informal networks. Know, connecting um, to to others around who can can bring them together. So when you when you have the live in the gap behavior, it's how do I then mobilize a team to maximize that opportunity? How do I connect people together? So it's people, processes, and ideas coming together and connecting them into this um, ability to um, create alignment towards an output that you're looking to. To maximize. So that was the second thing that really kind of stood out as I was looking at the people around me who were great or reading the research. The third one was um, the habit which I call find a way, which in effect is resilience. Am I willing to wrestle with a problem long enough for me to come up with a solution? So linked into that, there is some creativity in there. There is some ideas around improvement. But fundamentally, it is, am I going to be deterred by the first setback? Or am I willing to wrestle with that problem for long enough for me to discover an alternative way around? Um, and, and let's say within there is all tenets around being resilient, dealing with um, setbacks, dealing with obstacles. Um, being creative, looking to innovate, um, find alternative solutions when the first thing doesn't work, all of that kind of great strategic thinking that comes as part of that. Got to live in the gap, be a connection, be a connector and find a way. So find a way. Fourth one. Fourth one is dare to fail, which is the willingness to um, step outside your comfort zone, put yourself to places where you may not have the right answer or the right solution and go there anyway. And it's really the attitude of there is no such thing as failure. I'm only going to learn. So I either win or learn type methodology, which is lots, lots spoken around that. It encompasses things like growth mindset. Um, the work from Carol Dweck um, sits in that space. Um, the desire to want to test yourself and push yourself beyond to see how far you can go. Uh, and again, I use the, um, the analogy, people often talk about the comfort zone, but I tend to call it a comfort blanket because it gives us this false impression that we're in this safe, protected place. And actually it's the willingness to, to throw off that comfort blanket and step into unknown territory and see how well you perform um, in those environments. That, that willingness to go beyond what you currently know into that place of the unknown uh, and see how well you cope in that environment is what the dare to fail behavior is all about. And two ways it shows up in business predominantly is how big a goal do I set for myself? Am I willing to put myself out there and, and, and set myself big, audacious, uh, exciting goals, knowing that I might fall short, but I'm still going to go for it. 
And the other way it shows up is, am, am I willing to let go and delegate to others? Am I willing to be held to account for the actions of other people um, and, and willingness to, to let go and allow others to steer the ship? So those are kind of two, two sub-elements of the data fail. The fifth habit is the habit of show up. So this is me arriving as a leader and being willing to, to be held to account and to own the choices that I make in any moment. And it's also the habit of a lot of leadership is, you know, you say the leader is because you're out front, mm -hmm. but a lot of leadership actually is from behind where you're empowering other people to, to, to be out front and to, to represent your business and to delegate to them and empower them to, to make choices. But there are key moments as a leader where you have to, a cycling term, you have to put your nose into the wind. You've got to be at the front of the peloton who's willing to take the, the buffeting of the, um, of the, the wind and be the person who's going to stand up and, and own the decisions that you made. So a key part of being a leader is sometimes knowing when I've got to really show up and perform my own right. Role modeling, demonstrating those standards, um, that we talked about earlier to really, really, um, yeah, showing up. And then the final one is the habit live to serve, which you know is very in alignment with I know you've done work with Simon Sinek before, aligned with um, you know his views around servant-based leadership. But it's this willingness to use the skills and attributes that I have as a leader for the betterment of the people around me, whether they be my customers, whether they be my colleagues, whether they be my suppliers but me putting myself at service of others so I transcend myself rather than um, just looking to serve me and my own ego. So those were the six kind of um, habits, principles, behaviours that really kind of come to the fore of what I believe leadership in the future is, is demanding. While we take a moment to give our guest a quick break, I hope you're hearing how important it is to know your why. If you're ready to put an end to your frustration and unlock the code to your personal and business success, then after the show, make sure to head to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. It only takes about five minutes. Let's get back to the show. That, you know, you are just speaking my language. And so I wonder... Uh, I totally agree with all those. Those are those are kind of exactly. I, I, here's what I'm wondering: Is that are those six habits of being a micro leader? Are those related to being having the why of better way? Because that's exactly the process that I go through, but you've put it in a great format that makes it better, useful, easier to understand, systematized, yeah. useful, right? And so I'm curious with your clients, because now you know about, I, you're why certified, you know about the why, how, and what, yeah. uh, you know all this stuff. And, and I'm, I'm curious if you're going to find over time that your best clients are the ones that have the why a better way. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, uh, viewpoint. And, and I think one of, when we first connected and I first understood my why, by the way, I think I asked you a question of, are you, are you likely to only attract people who have the same belief as, as you have or you, the same why as you do? Um, 
I think naturally the, the book is based on my my perception. So I am going to resonate very closely with the things that fit in with my ethos of, of how I believe the world should be and, and what is the better way to lead lead people. So I think there is definitely going to be a connection to, to them. I think what's going to be interesting to, to explore, and if I think about the clients that I work with, um, I work with a range of clients that would have a very broad range of their whys. And I think certain parts of the habits will then resonate differently. So if I think about, you know, I know Dan in your team is a is wise contribute and a good friend of mine, Dave McLennan, who introduced me is the wise contribute. And I've got another couple of really close um, associates who've got the wire contribute. I think if they look at the six habits, they will go to live to serve first mm. and be a connector probably second because that will be really fitting with their why of contribute to others. Whereas when I look at it, I go to um, my dominant habit in the six micro leadership habits is find a way. And my secondary is live in the gap. Mm. You know, we could almost go through all six of those and attach one of the whys to them. Yeah. Right? You know, living in the gap, finding a better way, be a connector, could even be trust. Finding yeah. a way is make sense, you know, dare to fail challenge show up, uh, you know, lift a service, contribute and, and, uh, show up could be, um, gosh, could be also contribute, but it, yeah. But or maybe really, mastery could, could be, be mastery. Of, yes. Could yeah. be mastery. Yeah. So, um, I love those six. I mean that you've made it so easy to understand this process of being a, uh, a leader. Mm. That, that was my aim is I wanted to create a book that was a, a modern manual for somebody who is in leadership who wants to learn how they can day in, day out, make simple changes to what they do to be able to become a more effective leader. That was my that was my ambition when I started to write the book was to create a, a, a guide or a blueprint for leaders to be able to pick up. And in the book, you've got each of the habits then has uh, two or three thinking practices that you can apply every day to be able to adopt that particular habit or behavior. So in each of the, the six areas, there are, there are two to three very simple thinking practices is what I call them, but they're daily practices that if you apply them, then will help you become more adept in that particular habit and also then a more um, effective leader uh, in the, in the, in the whole. And the idea of, of that is all about I'm a massive fan of habit creation, um, understanding the importance of habits to our success. You know, when we know that 90% of our daily choices are driven below the rational level of thought, you know how important habits are to you. you know, nine out of 10 of your choices happen at a subconscious level. Then how we set our mindset and how we create our inner frameworks to guide our choices becomes such an important part of our ability to succeed as, as leaders and individuals and to have happy lives and to live into our purpose. Do you automate, you automate success or automate leadership by creating habits? Absolutely. Yeah. And then we're already doing it. So my, my guidance to people is to be intentional about the habits that you're creating as opposed to leaving them to chance or to, to a default position. So designing better. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting better by intentionally focusing on the things that you need to improve to, to, to get better results and better outcomes. I love that. So 
who is you, who is your ideal client? I've got a lot of people listening to this. Who would you like to connect with you? I know you're looking for people that are looking for a better way. Yeah. But what would be your ideal um, client? Yeah. So, so I'm really, there's, there's two areas I work, but, but they both have a, a very similar ethos. And I am looking to work and I only want to work. Actually, this is, is stronger than looking to. I only want to work with people who genuinely want to create environments where people can love what they do. So in your introduction that you um, you shared earlier, you know, I, I'd say I create better leaders, I build better workplaces. And I and the, the purpose behind both of those is so that more people can go to work and love their jobs. So I've got this cause. I, I believe that everybody should have the right to find a job that they love and be well rewarded for doing a job that they love and enjoy every day. That would be my kind of utopia. We, we all have to work. So therefore, I would love for people to go and do a job in an environment that helps them to maximize their personal um, assets and capabilities and their, their, their unique brilliance and that they can bring that unique brilliance to bear on a job that they love doing. Mm. And that's what they... So if they get to... Well, how we, we talk about it, if you get to live your why while pushing the why of the organization forward. Absolutely. You're going to love what you do. Yeah. And that's the bit that I, I'm um, driven by. So the clients I want to work with, I, I'm only, I'm not interested in clients who are looking to make tons of money at the expense of people. Mm. I only want to work with companies who genuinely have a belief in the value of people to their organizations. And that is more than a strap line that's on a website. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody can say people are the heart of our organization, and yet they'll then make choices that explicitly demonstrate that that's not the case. So that's a great question. So now I'm a, I'm a business owner. I'm listening to this. I believe what you're saying. I believe in what you're saying, but I don't know how to do it. I mm -hmm. don't know how to create a culture where people are valued. I don't know how to create a place where people love what they do. How do I do that? Like, what are the steps to doing this? Is that what the six steps are all about? Or is there another process that you know that you use to help people create that? Yeah, so there's a, there's another process we, we use. Um, so I, I've got a, um, a program that I call my business design framework. So it's really is to design, to design your business in a way that fulfills the dream life that you have. That's, that's really what the, the, the process is about. And through that, you're designing your dream life, but you're also designing the dream business that facilitates and builds these great value-led organizations. That's, that's what the business design framework does. But if you're a business owner sitting here listening to this and saying, right, okay, this, this all sounds great, but I need, I, you know, where do I start? The first place for me to start is your why. Mm -hmm. So the first, first thing we do with people, and the reason why I was so keen to work with your organization, Gary, is because the first start point is understanding your why. Yep. Know what your why is. Know why you're here and why you do what you do and what you believe in. And when you've understood your why, and you know, your why could be any of the other nine whys that, that are there. It may not be a better way like yours and I's is, but it could be another, another one of the whys. But once you know what your why is and you understand what it is that you're trying to achieve and what, what really kind of um, ignites your passion, 
From there, it's then about recognizing the values that sit next. So we, we, we kind of go from your why and your purpose to understanding what are your core values. And we, we, we encourage people to go beyond talking about core values in a very cliched way. We like to, to ask people to get values that really resonate with them on a personal level, that connect to their why, but start to really define their, their values. So that would be my first point of call to people is to come and do the why discovery if you've not done it already. Understand your why because it makes it a much quicker process to get to where you want to get to. Uh, and then once you've got your why, to then start really tuning into um, what really matters to me. And I, I ask people to, to identify just four core values. And those four core values, the way, the way I ask people to go looking for them is, think about the things that make your heart sing. What are those moments in your business that really get you excited? And then I ask people to think about, on the other side, what are the things that really wind you up, that really get you frustrated? Because often our values are in the intersection between the things that light us up and the things that really frustrate us. Because we don't get excited about things that don't matter. And we typically don't get frustrated about things that don't matter either. So if you're being excited by something and being lit up by something, or you're being really frustrated to the point of, of you know, almost anger about something, in there is the things that really matter to you about business in your life. And those things are already deciding your choices. So what we do is encourage people to bring them out into the open and make them explicit. Love it. That's a lot easier way to think about core values. I mean, much better way. Is some, I mean, it just simplifies it to where I could actually do it, right? Mm. Which is kind of the point of all this. You got, you got to be able to do it or it doesn't have any value. So yeah. first you know your why, then you look for your core values. And then what do you do? So after that, we then um, look at um, and I, uh, the way I, um, I I love analogies because I want to just kind of make it again better way in share is I want to make it simple for people to connect with and understand. So the way I articulate it is you create the values, create these four um, foundation blocks for imagine that you are building a physical office which is going to be your business representation. So whether it is a physical office or whether it's um, you know, a virtual one, but if you were physically building, you'd lay the foundations and they're the values. They're into the ground. Values don't necessarily need to be seen, but they should feel them. So when you walk into that building, you want to know that you are walking into a site that's on really solid foundations, really grounded, solid base. As you walk into that building, for me, the culture is what happens when you open the front door and you walk into the site. The culture is what you feel. As you walk into that site, it's what you feel in that environment. And the culture represents that business in the way that colleagues are made to feel, the way that customers are made to feel, the way that suppliers and, and um, partners are made to feel when they walk into your environment. And again, I'm using the, the language walk in. It could be a physical representation or it may be when you land on a website, when you um, send an email to that client or to, to that company. It's just all of the interactions that happen is how you are made to feel when you're there. That's for me what the culture is about. And again, what we would do is we would help them to design that intentionally. Mm -hmm. And there are 10 
10 blocks that we base it around. Um, not every company will have all 10 and that's okay, but there are 10 kind of facets of the culture that we help them to intentionally design their business around. Almost as if you were saying, right, we're opening the doors on this brand new office. How are we going to decorate the reception area? That's what your culture should be. It should be the the way that it feels, the ambience that you get when you walk into that environment, the 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 warmth or the um, or the um, the the kind of high design feel that you might get when you walk in, depending on what your business is and what the culture you want it to be. How does it want to feel when you walk in? Is it something that excites me? Is it something that makes me feel um, like there's a lot of trust here? Is it something that makes me feel comfortable? Is it something that's really clean and makes me feel like it's um, clinical? What's what's the what's the feeling that you want to have when you walk into that environment? And that's the culture. And then the last thing that we help businesses with is, again, taking this analogy a step further, is I've walked in, I've had this feeling. When I walk over to the receptionist, it's the behaviours they then demonstrate that make that culture live or breathe. So I can walk in, I can have this feeling. But if I walk up to the first member of team that I that I meet, whether that be the owner of the business or whether that be a receptionist or whether that be uh, you know a colleague and doing going about their work, is the experience I have when I connect with them tells me whether this culture actually lives and breathes in the business and is um, a feature of everything they do or whether it is just wallpaper that they put on to make their reception area look pretty. Wow. I love what you've done there. Uh, again, you've, you've found a better way and simplified it for us to where I can look at that and say, you know what, I could do that. I could take my company through that. I could figure that out where sometimes it's this airy fairiness around some of these terms that, you know, like core values and culture and behaviors and all that. And you're just like, man, I don't even know where to begin with any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't. Yeah. So you yeah. just leave, leave it at that. Well, Hayden, that, I know we've probably gone over our time already, but man, I appreciate you being here uh, with us today. You've given me, I've got what, four pages of notes now. So <laughs> I've got a lot to look at. That's great. Very, very helpful. Way more than I even expected, even though I, you know, we've spent some time talking. The way you've put all this together has been super helpful. So thank you. I, Gary, it's been a real pleasure to come along and talk to you. And, and every time we connect, you know, I'm massively inspired by what you do and, and the, you know, your why matching mine, your ability to find a better way and simplify things as well is something I'm really inspired by. So um, to come and share some time with you has been great. And, you know, it's my, my aim is just to help people become better leaders so we can all create better places for people to go to work. So every chance that I get to talk and help people to refine what they do is, is a real pleasure for me. So if people are wanting to get in touch with you, they say, man, I love what Hayden said. I'd love to help have him come work with us. How should they get in touch with you? So the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. That's the, where I'm most active. So Hayden Bratt, I'm very fortunate. I've got a slightly unusual name, so um, it's pretty easy to find me. Uh, so Hayden's spelt without uh, without an E, so H-A-Y-D-N and then B-R-A-T-T. Um, so LinkedIn is good. My um, website is mindsetleadership.co.uk. So if people want to check out our work on there, then they are very um, a- able to come and have a look at us uh, on, on the website. But yeah, LinkedIn is the, the best place. Awesome. Well, I can't wait till we can travel again. I'm going to come to London and and hang out with you and the Queen. Absolutely. Yeah, you're very welcome. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Brilliant. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. 
I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and that through today's guest, you heard how important it is to know your why and how impactful it can be in your life and the lives of those around you. Be sure to head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. Remember, the more you know about yourself, the more you'll know about others. I'm Dr. Gary Sanchez, and I'll see you on the next episode.